So it's great to be here this morning. I wanted to tell you about, um, well, I've got two brothers. You've got one just here, broken his collarbone, so you can pray for him afterwards. But I want to talk about my other brother today. It's called Dan, and he goes to this big church. He used to go to a big church in London. He's moved up to Glasgow now. But this big church in London had a great worship team. And one of their ministries as a church was to take their worship team to smaller churches and to do a whole day talking about worship and doing some sessions, doing practitioner stuff with the instruments. And then they would finish the day with a big worship session and they would worship the Lord together with these guys to empower smaller worship teams. And one day, they were really struggling for musicians. They, they were really scraping the barrel because they gave me a phone call. They were like, Luke, we need a drummer. Can you play? And I can't play the drums. So they must have been really desperate. I can't play the drums. But we, so we went there. I was really buzzing to just get involved with this amazing worship band and these great musicians. And the day was going really well. And I was thinking about playing at the end of the day, and I was starting to get excited as the time approached. And we got to the bit where they do the big worship session, and I was just getting ready to go. And the worship leader came up to me, and he said, Hey, Luke, one of the things we love to do when we go to these places is just to look out to see if there's any really great musicians and invite them to join us for the session at the end to empower them and encourage them. And that guy, James, is great at the drums, so we're actually going to... We're going to get him up to play the drums today. I hope that's cool with you. I was like, oh, I was absolutely crestfallen. Sweet baby Luke was so upset. And I was like, oh, that's such a great idea. I love that idea. Great. Um, so they start worshipping this great band. They, they get us into the presence of the Lord. People are just there, lost in wonder at the foot of the cross. And I was stood there, arms folded. <laughs> staring at the drummer, <laughs> scrutinizing his every beat, just thinking, that was my moment. Should have been my moment. Well, we're talking about the glory of the Lord today, uh, who we give glory to, and that was my moment of thinking, this should have been my glory. Because I think we're all creatures who are wired to worship, right? We're all wired for worship. And some of us, we worship God, but we also, we worship TV, or we worship a football team, or food, our relationships, our money. And I think we're all guilty of worshipping ourselves. And the other thing I think we're wired to do is to give glory. We give glory in lots of different ways. Some of us give glory to God, but we often give glory to other people, to places or things. And I think we all give glory to ourselves. And as I was waiting to play the drums that, that day, I was waiting to give myself some glory by playing the drums in front of people. So my question and my challenge for us today is a simple one. It's who gets your glory? Who gets your praise? Is it God? Is it Sheffield Wednesday? Commiserations, if, you're, if it is. <laughs> is it yourself? Because I think that question, who gets your glory, who gets your worship, it is the most crucial question for discipleship, or it's right up there with the most important questions that you can be asking yourself all the time. Because if you don't, before long, you realize that you're not actually giving glory to God, it's actually going into the mirror, and that is a dangerous place to be in. 
because you'll be, you'll be pleased to hear that we want to be a God-centered church. Hallelujah. And we're here for God's glory. We're here to worship him. And we're doing that so that we can be a church for the city that operates out of the overflow of worshiping God, of giving him the glory. Because as Tom expressed last week, we want to let the great commandment inform us to be a church of the Great Commission. So in other words, we want to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love our neighbor as ourselves so that we can go and baptize disciples of all nations. And it's one of the reasons why we're going into this season of doing Make Room on a Wednesday. Uh, It's a really important time for us as a church to look towards the Lord, to seek his face and to get that hardwired into us that we're here first and foremost for him. And so on a Sunday, we want to support that. So we are going to be doing a three-week series on this idea of ministering to his presence. So I've got a slide for that as well. Um, We are thinking about what it means for us to give glory to the Lord as a community and as individuals. Uh, This is quite a strange phrase, ministering to his presence, Um, something that your crazy charismatic friends might say, and you're like, okay, chill out. It, It comes from 2 Chronicles, chapter 29, where there's a king called King Hezekiah, and he was one of the good ones. There's lots of good and bad kings. He was one of the good guys. So he came into power when Israel had all turned away from the Lord. And they were worshipping false gods. And Hezekiah came and he, his job as king, he reorientated the nation back to the Lord. That was his job as king. And that's what he did really well. And he tore down all the idols and he changed everything around. And he says this in verse 11 of chapter 29. He said... To the people of Israel, my children, do not be negligent now, for the Lord has chosen you to stand before the Lord and serve him, to minister before him and to burn incense. And that's where we get the phrase ministering to his presence from. And we want to follow this ancient example of what it really means to commit to worshiping the Lord and to be a a, a people fully orientated to him. And you may be sat here thinking, Luke, are you you a bit confused, mate? You do know this is a church. I think we understand we're here to worship God. Like that's kind of the the point, right? And that is fair. But I realized that I don't think I fully grasped this simple concept, really. And if we go to the next slide, I think I want to just make it really clear what God, I think, has been speaking to me over the recent times is that we're not... That we're here to give God glory. We're not here to receive glory from God. That we're here to, to worship the consuming fire of the Lord. We're not here to consume from the Lord. Um, we're here for the God of the city. Like we're not just here for the city, even though we do keep saying that. The beautiful thing about God is that he, he's so kind, he's so gracious, he gives his glory to us, even though we sometimes are so, like seeking it in the wrong places, but he always comes, he always meets us, and he wants to give us the city, he wants to give us his glory. So to help us grasp these principles, over the next three weeks, looking at ministering to his presence, we're thinking about the tabernacle in the Old Testament. And we want to look at how three leaders treated the tabernacle with the people. So we're going to look at Moses today, then we're going to look at King Saul next week, and then we're going to look at King David the week after that, and just glean some really simple principles 
about giving God the glory. So what is the tabernacle? Do you know what the tabernacle is? Do you have a grasp of it in your mind? Well, the tabernacle is essentially a tent. It's like a big tent, like a marquee. And it was something that God instructed the Israelites to build whilst they were in the wilderness, traveling through the desert towards the promised land when they came out of Egypt. Because God, he wanted to dwell with the Israelites. He wanted to live with them. And he wanted to give them a place to sacrifice and to worship to him whilst on their travels. So if you're interested in building your own tabernacle, I would want to point you to Exodus chapter 25 to 40. There is your IKEA flat pack manual, how to build your tabernacle. All of the materials you'll need, the distances, everything else, exactly what position you want to put your candlesticks and all the rest of it. And you can have your own tabernacle. So God gives these clear instructions, and they're very, very detailed. And and out of those instructions, there are two things I wanted to highlight that I think God wants to communicate through the tabernacle. And the two instructions that he gives, um, firstly, it's where where the Israelites should camp. Uh, And they said, and it says in the Bible, they should camp where the glory of the Lord rests on the tabernacle. They should follow the cloud of the presence of God. And when it rests on the tabernacle, they should camp there. And the other instruction is that the tabernacle should always be right in the center of the Israelite camp. That they should camp with the three tribes to the north, three tribes to the south, three tribes to the east, three tribes to the west. It makes a cross. If you know, look from a bird's eye view. And I think that God tells, tells us through this that God's presence always leads his people And it tells us that God's presence should always be at the heart and the center of the people of God. So when the Israelites finished building the temple, in Exodus chapter 40, verse 34, it says, The cloud of God's presence covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And God's glory settled there, and Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. I wonder if you have a grid for that kind of glory, that level of God's presence that he literally couldn't even enter in. Like it's an amazing concept to to meditate on. So we've built the tabernacle and we're going to look at Moses' response to that. And we're going to focus in on that this morning. So we're going to read from Numbers chapter 7. We're going to read verses 1 to 3 and then 10 to 18, which is the dedication of the tabernacle. And it says this. When Moses finished setting up the tabernacle, he anointed and consecrated it and all its furnishings. He also anointed and consecrated the altar and all its utensils. Then the leaders of Israel, the heads of the families who were the tribal leaders in charge of those who were counted, made offerings. They brought as their gifts before the Lord six covered carts with twelve oxen, an ox from each leader and a cart from every two. These they presented before the tabernacle. Skipping to verse 10, it says, When the altar was anointed, the leaders brought their offerings for its dedication and presented them before the altar. For the Lord had said to Moses, Each day one leader is to bring his offering for the dedication of the altar. The one who brought his offering on the first day was Nashon, son of Amminadab, from the tribe of Judah. His offering was one silver plate weighing 130 shekels and one silver sprinkling bowl weighing 70 shekels. 
both according to the sanctuary shekel, each filled with the finest flour mixed with olive oil as a grain offering. He brought one gold dish weighing 10 shekels filled with incense, one young bull, one ram, and one male lamb, a year old, for a burnt offering, one male goat for a sin offering, and two oxen, five rams, five male goats, and five lambs a year old to be sacrificed as a fellowship offering. This was the offering of Nashon of Aminadab. On the second day, Nathaniel, son of Zuar, the leader of Issachar, brought his offering. He brought one silver plate weighing 130 shekels and one silver sprinkling bowl weighing 70 shekels, both according to the sanctuary shekel, each filled with the finest flour with olive oil as a grain offering. Does this sound familiar? One gold dish weighing 10 shekels filled with incense, one young bull, one ram, one male lamb a year old for a burnt offering, one male goat for a sin offering, and two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male rams, lambs a year old to be sacrificed as a fellowship offering. On the third day, Eliab, son of Helon, the leader of the people of Zebulon, bought his offering. His offering was one silver plate. Come on, guys. It'd make a great song, wouldn't it? On the fourth day of the dedication of the tabernacle, one of the 12 tribes of Judah gave to me four male goats, three shekels of gold, two oxen, and a partridge in a pear tree. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sorry, Moses. So this, the writer of the book of Numbers continues. He writes it out 12 times for each tribe, and then he summarizes it at the end. And as I was reading it, I was just struck by the, the level of sacrifice and the level of reverence that the Israelites choose to bring to the tabernacle. And the, the, the writer really wants to make that clear, writing it out time and time again. It must have taken forever to write it in ancient Hebrew. And what's interesting is that in the heart of the wilderness, you know, they've chosen to give this truckload of treasure. It's a serious amount of money, a serious amount of bread, you know, the oil and the, the grain, and it's a lot of animals. It's like a whole farm of animals. And the Israelites, like, if we think about where they are, they're on the road, they're nomadic, they're, they're fleeing, essentially. And Everything they've got with them is their life's possessions, and it is their livelihood. It's what they're hoping to start a new civilization with when they get to the promised land. And they're getting rid of the, the gold that they've brought from the place that they've just been living for their whole lives. This is like their inheritance, their children's inheritance. They're sacrificing the animals that are going to be keeping them alive for the next however long it takes to get to where they're going to. And it's their food, it's their bread that they were going to be eating every single day. That these guys, they're not just giving a token. It's not just a nice gesture to the Lord. Like they are giving the things that are going to keep them going and their heritage. It's a genuine sacrifice of worship to the Lord. And it's something that costs them. And it reminded me, reading this, of um, a great story in chapter two of Sam, uh, 2 Samuel, sorry, chapter 24, verse 24, where David, King David is looking to do an offering to the Lord, looking to do a burnt offering, but he needs an animal. And this guy comes up to me and says, hey, I've got a bull over here. If you want it for free, you're a nice guy. You can have it. You can do this offering. Perfect. And David says in verse 24 to this guy, he says, I will not offer my God a sacrifice that costs me nothing. 
I will not offer my God a sacrifice that costs me nothing. And the Israelites, led by Moses, here in the heart of the wilderness, they're making a costly offering. But they're choosing to do that because they want to give the God of all creation glory. Because he's chosen to to come and camp with them, to dwell with them, to give them his presence wherever they go. And so to them, it is worth every single penny. So the question is, the challenge is, what offering of worship are you bringing to the Lord? And what does it cost you? And what does that communicate about who you give your glory to? Jesus brings this same challenge in Matthew chapter 6 on the Sermon on the Mount where he says in verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I think on the 12 days that the tabernacle was dedicated the Israelites showed where their heart is. So next week, we've got our whole church weekend away. We've got two speakers. We've got a guy called John McGinley, and there's a guy called Wale. Uh, I met Wale uh, many years ago, and we've kept in touch, and we're, we're pals. We meet each other every so often. And a couple of years ago, we, we hung out at this place called David's Tent, which is a Christian festival where people go to worship, and it's from Friday to Monday of the August Bank holiday. And it's a big marquee with a big worship band set up. And they start playing on Friday afternoon. And they play all the way through, 72 hours, night and day, all the way to Monday lunchtime. And it's an amazing place. So we were hanging out on the Saturday. And we were just having a chat. And I was like, oh, what are you doing tomorrow? He said, oh, I've got to nip back to London because he leads a church. And he's got like a two morning services and an afternoon service. So he's a very busy guy. And then on Sunday, about eight o'clock, I bumped into him again. I said, Wale, what are you doing here? I thought you were, I thought you were back in London today. He's like, oh, I was, I was. I just got off the train. I've just come back here. I was like, oh, that's cool. So are you staying till tomorrow lunchtime? He's like, no, no, I'm, I'm getting a lift back to London with my sister in a couple of hours. I was like, oh. So, like, you're going to be on the road, like, twice as long as you're here. Like, what, what are you doing? And he said something to me, which is crazy. He, he just said, Luke, after the year I've had, I just felt like I had to come back and give God my praise and give God the glory. I remember just being stunned, like, kind of jaw open, just like, What? <laughs> What do you mean? Like, as in, so you're here to give God glory, not to like catch the vibes. <laughs> and I just couldn't believe it. And something really clicked for me in that moment. I think I had a bit of a realization that day that my selfishness, the selfishness that we all carry in one way, shape, or form, that for me it, it extended to the way that I approach worship, especially those kinds of events and I realized that I don't know if it's like this for you I come to worship and I'm often a bit like okay God here I am had a tough week feeling a bit sorry for myself can you make me feel great again love a bit of your grace a bit of your mercy and oh, oh and if someone could come and give me a prophetic word that would be awesome just for me great and I want you to please hear me when I say that I'm joking of course but 
that God is, that is absolutely in his nature. That when we come to God and we want to receive his love and his mercy and his grace and a word from him, he is a good father, he is abounding in love, he is kind, he is gracious, he is compassionate, he's absolutely for you and he will speak to you and he'll cover you in his love and he'll give you his grace every single time we ask and he loves doing that more than anything else. But I did realize in that moment that, hang on a minute, maybe I've got this the wrong way around. Maybe I've got this switched up. Because before I was kind of like doing a, okay, God, you do something for me. Out of that place, I give you the praise and I give you the glory. But looking at the, at the scripture and the Bible, some of the great prayers and some of the heroes of the faith, you look at David, you look at Nehemiah, you look at Moses, whoever it might be, they start with this is who God is, this is your character, this is your nature, and then they turn around and that's exactly what God is doing in their lives and are all around them. We praise him for who he is and then he blesses us. And I think there's a big difference there. And I think the challenge that's for me and for you, I hope, is this question, you know, do we treat God like God? I just got to stand here and just be in awe and behold who you are. Or do we treat God a bit like a, like a genie in a bottle? Give it the magic rub. Get you three wishes. Wish for a hundred wishes. Because when our worship is disordered like that, and we're going to find out more about that next week when we look at how King Saul treated the tabernacle. When our worship is disordered, then we can end up with a God who we try to dictate outcomes to. We try and say, okay, God, this is the play. This is how it's going to go. And then if you start walking down that journey long enough, you turn around, you, you realize you haven't got a God at all. You've got an idol. But when we treat God the right, when we flip it around, we behold the presence, we, we focus on the character of God, then I think something beautiful happens that we, we can be transformed by his character, transformed by his holiness beyond our circumstance beyond our own hearts and desires that he comes and purifies us. The good news for us, guys, the, like the good news is that we have Jesus Christ, that we don't need a tabernacle anymore, that God is the one who gave his son to be the perfect sacrifice on the cross, to take our sins on his shoulders so that we can stand in his presence. We don't need to wait outside for the right day and the right bull to be sacrificed to the Lord, that the curtain is torn in two. We have full access to the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit dwells in us, that we are tabernacles, each of us tabernacles that, are, that go where the Lord sends us. When the presence rests on the tabernacle, that's who we are, and he's right in the center of us, and we camp around the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. So we don't need to give offerings of, of sacrifice to the Lord for atonement. We don't need to kill a goat so that we can be before him for our sin. But the Israelites, they didn't just do sacrifices for atonement. They did them for praise and worship to say, God, this is how much you're worth. And that is what we're encouraged to do. And in Hebrews chapter 13, 15, the writer draws on this and he says, Therefore, through Jesus, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise, the fruit that openly professes his name. Let us offer God a sacrifice of praise. So, do you come to the Lord with a shopping list? 
or do you come with lips that openly profess his name? Because I know that when I come before the Lord, many of my prayers are actually for my own glory. And the question is, whose glory are we here for? I just want to finish with this. I got a text this week from someone I haven't spoken to for two years, an old friend, completely out of the blue. And it says this. It said to me, Luke, I was thinking in church today about people's glory, what with the coronation and all. I was thinking about how personable you are and how easily you seem to make friends and maybe how that's your glory. Then I felt God say no. And I had a picture of you face down in the dust and dirt before him, that all your human glory is dust. But that as you come to him face down in the dirt, he will give you the type of glory that he gives the waterfalls and the stars. The glory that speaks of something God touched. So an encouragement today to spend time humbly with God because he loves to lift up the humble. Can't help but feel that was a bit of a dig of a text. (laughs) But I thought the sentence was so beautiful and the more I've sat and read it and thought about it this week, the more I've been so touched by this simple idea where she says, as you come to him face down in the dirt, He will give you the type of glory he gives the waterfalls and the stars. The glory that speaks of something God touched. Because when I was playing the drums, well, when I was famously not playing the drums, that one time, arms folded. That was me embodying the older brother in the story of the prodigal son looking on at the party going on, thinking, that should be my glory, it should be this, it should be that. But I just sensed as I was preparing this, the Lord, as Tom encouraged us with the prodigal son story last week, he's, he's calling us as a church into a time where we can be welcomed back into the Father's house. I think he wants to encourage us and call us to learn what it means to live in the Father's house with full access to him, and I think he wants to say to us this morning those words from Luke 15, 31. My son, my daughter, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. We don't need to worry about our own glory because he's going to look after us. He's got it covered. I want to invite the band back up and then I'd love to invite us to pray so if you wouldn't mind joining me in standing I just want to invite the Holy Spirit to come. I just want to encourage you to focus in on him, take a deep breath maybe. He's been listening for a while. Jesus, we're here for you. And I pray that right now your glory 
would fill the room as it did in the wilderness of Paran at the tabernacle. And Lord, I thank you that you love us so much. It's your joy to to fill us with your love. Lord, I pray that you would help us to just sit under your love and to gaze lovingly at you. that we would be disciples who who seek to dwell in the house of the Lord, to gaze upon your beauty and to allow you to look after us. So Lord, as we behold your glory now, I pray for all of us older brothers that you'd, you'd open the door and let us back into the party.